Living Torah and uh, correction from last week. I was reminded that I'm going at the end of August to Mannheim, Pennsylvania. It is in Lancaster County, so I was half right. Uh, so Mannheim, Pennsylvania, I'm going to be doing three services there. And uh, because of, of space and also they'll be serving a meal, if you're going to be visiting that weekend with us, I need you to send me an email. Let me know how many are in your family. And uh, I guess it would probably be good to know the ages also so they can prepare that. So just send me a quick email. Be glad to pass that along and love to uh, to see you there. This past weekend, I was in Durango, Colorado for the one of the most amazing weddings that I've ever been a part of. And so my thanks to, uh, of course, the bride and groom, but my thanks also for a number of new folks that I was able to meet this past weekend, uh, spending time with uh, just, just great people. The, the, uh, the couple that, that hosted me in their, well, their camper, um, three daughters that just, uh, fell in love with instantly. So, um, again, thank you to everyone that made that weekend, last weekend possible. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I was able to, to be I, a lot, got to catch up with a lot of people that I've known for quite some time, but also to meet new people and specifically some that are not really, have not been around this walk that long. And it's refreshing. It is really refreshing. And a number of the young adults, uh, youth that I've been around with Revive in various places, got to hang out with them, spend some time. So uh, it was a great time. And right now I'm running a little bit behind because our son is uh, getting ready to board an airplane in, in Jeju Island, South Korea, son and daughter in law and uh, grandson and they're going to be making about a 21 hour trek to Atlanta and then I'll pick them up down there tomorrow night. So uh try to put everything together here and uh here we go with this week's Torah portion which is I pleaded and you know this this book of Devarim um you know, it's, it's always phenomenal to me to, to to turn the pages of this book and to consider the scenario the picture of what is happening here is that Moshe is, now knows that he has a successor in Joshua. He's promised, he has been promised that they will enter into the land, but it has to be a very bittersweet ending. He has one opportunity to speak to the to the people that are gathered there. Uh, they are, of course, uh, is when he dies, it's done. And so, you know, I mean, if, if it's a pretty long sermon called Deuteronomy that he's, that he's written out here to us, uh, there may be a reason. I've often wondered, and, and I, I guess it's, it, it's may not be that relevant, but I've, I've always wondered, uh, which direction Moshe was facing. As he faced the people, were they facing into looking at the outskirts of Jericho, looking at the Jordan River, and he is looking over at the mountain that he is going to be climbing. Or is it the other way around? Was he speaking to the people 
and at the same time looking over their shoulders, over their heads, and into the land that it would be hundreds of years later that he would actually step foot in that land for the first time. And we know that is the, the Mount of Transfiguration. So it is a bitter, bittersweet time, but his priorities are has, his priorities have never changed from the beginning. Through the successes, through the failures, through the sin of the golden calf of Korak, of, of Balaam, of, of all of this that's gone on, Moshe's focus has always been the people, and that will be the way that he will leave with this message called Deuteronomy. But it, he, he is very honest with the people. And he said, I, uh, this is the first verse, which is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 23. Then I pleaded with Yudhei Vavhe, Yudhei Vavhe Olohim, you have begun to reveal your greatness to your servant and your strong hand. And it goes on from there. He says, please, please let me in. The word there that I, I pleaded is a word that is, I pitched my tent. So it was like, we would say it today, I took up residence. It wasn't just a, a passing thought that he was having. It wasn't just a, he, you know, spent a, a moment in, now I lay me down to sleep. And uh, if if I, I pray the Lord that he'd let me into the promised land. No, it was that he pitched his tent. He took up residence in a time of prayer and meeting with the Almighty in pleading with him for him to let him into the promised land. Why? Because he understood that these 40 plus years, going all the way back to the the time in Egypt, the, the time of the plagues, that was just a beginning of what he was going to see. The, the word began uh, is, is almost like a, a, a sowing of seeds. It's like a a beginning of a call. Well, uh, the first time it's used in Genesis is when men began to call up. It's, it's translated began to call on the name of Yudhei Vavhe, but uh, I believe a more accurate translation as a sideline here is that they began to call themselves by the name of God. So this was a time leading up to the Tower of Babel in which they were looking at themselves as God. It uh, didn't work out very well then, doesn't work out well today. Another instance that is, is used is that Noah began to be a, a husband uh, in husbandry, a, a farmer. He began that. He had gone from the, the time of being a builder to now being a farmer a grower of vines. And so the uh, the plagues in Egypt, the experiences, experiences that they had had over these 40 years, the manna coming down, the water that was following them, all of this was just the seeds being planted into the ground. This was the early shoots coming forth. But for Moses, he's, he's pleading with the Almighty, I want to see the fruit. I want to see the fruit of what I have put, what I have helped to water through my prayers, what I have helped to, to bring forth in the leadership. I want to see the fruit of that. And the, the Almighty would say to him, no, 
you will have to wait to another time. And, and why is this in the end? Could uh, the Creator have, have stepped in when Moses takes his staff and begins to strike that rock for the, for the second time? Could he, could he not have stepped in? I mean, he's intervened. He, he intervened with Balaam and Balak, sending the donkey, you know, to, to a people who will end up in, in total debauchery of, of pagan worship. Could, could he not have done Moses a favor and stepped in on that one? Yeah, he could have, but he didn't. And the, it's why. He says, but um, it is for on your behalf. If we go ahead and, and read on down there, it says it's for on account of you. And this is in uh, verse 26. On account of you, he did not stop me from striking the rock for the second time, which stopped me from entering into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Better translation, I believe, is for your sake or on your behalf. For if Moses had entered into the land, then it would have set up a dynasty. It would have set up something that would have been the the heirs of Moses and that would have become uh, a, a system. I mean, you, you just look at what ha- is happening. Look at England, uh, you know, King Charles, uh, Princess, or what, Queen uh, Coella de Ville. Yeah. That's not the scripture. That's not what the scripture is to be. The scripture is never to be about a person except for the person of Messiah. And so Moses not going in is the plans and purposes of the Father so that those things would not happen. Passing it off to Joshua. And the prophetic picture of this that I've, I've taught on many times is that Moses is known as the Torah of Moses. But if we go, go back to my beginning statement, I was talking to someone about this the other day in uh, Colorado, the, the Torah points us to the Redeemer, while in itself offering no redemption. Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8, uh, Behold, I am coming. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. And so, we see the, the essence of Messiah in the Torah. But yet, the Torah in itself will not lead us into redemption. And so the, as I was talking to a, a pastor, a wonderful man, I got to meet him and his wife. And this is, this walk is, is, this was really their first time seeing this walk. And so we discussed the, the typical, you know, things that we've been taught through the years that, well, the, the, the Torah was given so that it would show us that it was too hard for us to do. So Messiah would come to show us, yeah, I could never do that anyway, so throw it out the window. And, you know, is that the heart of the Father? Does, does the Father give us something to frustrate us? Does the Father give us something? It, it would be like uh, me looking at my, my grandson here in a couple of days and, and 
Uh, one of the things that he wants to do is shoot a gun. Well, you know, he's he's like six years old. It's not going to be a very large gun, guys, all right? But what if I, I, I walked out there with a forty four Magnum, and I said, okay, here it is. And, you know, well, how do I use it? You know what, just use it. Just, you know, just, you, you figure it out. Well, what's going to happen there? Uh, possibly some destruction. Possibly uh, so, some very bad circumstances are going to happen. Because I gave him something that, that I had not prepared him to use. What, what, kind of a, uh, what kind of father, what kind of a grandfather would do something so ridiculous? So to consider that the Father gave us the Torah, the instructions of life, in order to frustrate us and show us we can't do it. That's, that's not the, the one that I serve today. I, I know what it's like to serve that one. Okay, and that's, I, I don't serve that one today. So we went through all of these different things. But yet, when we go over to the book of Joshua... Joshua is told one of his the first things he's told besides be strong and of good courage of Hazak Hazak is do not allow this Torah to depart from you. Do not turn to the left or to the right because it will guide you into the promises of the Almighty. And so the, the pictures the picture that's being brought forth right there is is very simple. That the Torah, the written Torah, cannot lead us, cannot cannot bring us across. It can bring us across the Reed Sea, the Red Sea. Redemption. It can bring us to the place of our of a mikvah, our baptism, of of a renewed life, of being born again. But it cannot bring us across the Jordan. In, in, a, in a prophetic sense here, think about it. It cannot bring us across the Jordan. It takes the revelation of Joshua, Yahashua, Yeshua, the Messiah, to bring us across. So it is both the living Torah and the written Torah. Because if we depart from one, we will then be confused about the other. So if I depart from the, the revelation of Messiah in the written Torah, then I can be confused regarding the person of the living Torah and come up with my own Messiah, my own image of Messiah. If I, however, depart from the, uh, the revelation of the living Torah, the Messiah, then I can be confused about the revelation of the written Torah, and it becomes a series of, uh, of rules and regulations that have no life, that have no, in the end, where are they pointing me to? They can Now I can confuse it to where I can see, well, if I just keep this, this one right and this one right and, and do it absolutely perfect, then I have gained some favor with God and I can work out my own redemption without fear and trembling. I can work out my own redemption without Messiah. So the two are very important, working together as a Echad, as one. Moshe is told to uh, to climb to the top of Pisgah 
Look out to the west, the north, the south, and the east. Look with your eyes. And I, I've been to this mountain. Over, it's in the eastern bank of, uh, of Israel. It's called, today is called Jordan. It is occupied territory. I'll just throw in that, that in for political purposes. But he is, uh, he's told to, to climb to that mountain. Now, the tradition holds that it was the clear day. And on a clear day, our, our infamous, well, if it was clear today, you could see the Sea of Galilee. But because of the, the, the moisture in the air, well, it's there, but we can't see it. But the tradition holds that from this vantage point, that it was the clear day. And he could have seen all the way to Mount Hermon. He could have seen to the Dead Sea. He could have seen to the Mediterranean. He could have actually seen all the way down to the Reed Sea. He would have been able to see uh, on the horizon the biblical borders of Israel. And so he was told to climb Mount Pisgah and to look out unto this land. The, the word here, of course, is to perceive. Uh, he was to climb, which is what is climbing. Climbing is when you get on top of the the other things that are the things that are blocking your view. Uh, from where he was standing, uh, no matter no matter which way it was, he would have seen mountains ahead of him. If he was looking the other way, he would have seen date palm trees. Uh, it was the the things of this natural earth that was in, that were impeding his view not allowing him to see and perceive the complete Israel that was in front of him, the complete promises. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, great, uh, uh, a great thing for us today. I, I spent the last, the last few days, I left on, uh, on Friday. I, I came back, I got back home at 1 a.m. Monday morning. And I spent, I don't think that I ever saw a television except for maybe a couple minutes in the airport. I uh, listened to, to very little regarding what was happening in the news, the radio and all those things. And um, I would glance occasionally at the internet. And you know, it was, it was kind of a freeing time. I, I almost, almost didn't like getting back and, okay, I've got to get back into this because... The, uh, the, the, the news of the world, and this is not a, a commercial uh, for a specific channel or whatever, and it's not a commercial for making the ostrich your mascot to where you, you put your head in the sand and, and you know, not just, I, I don't see anything, so nothing must be happening. That, and the truth is, ostriches actually don't do that. It was a cartoon thing. But, you know, if you, you just consider it, you put your head in the sand, it makes a really interesting target for the enemy. Does it not? I'll let you have that picture by yourself. So this is not a commercial for or any instruction for not being a part of. But there's times in our lives that we need to get above it. We need to climb above the distractions of this, this age. Uh, is that not what Shabbat is about? Climbing above. Looking at things from the spiritual perspective. 
the spiritual realm, looking at it, if we if on Shabbat we are in a way entering into his realm, then we're we're above all of these things. And so it would be like I taught on Shabbat. Uh, I, I told the guy that everyone that was gathered there in the at our, our host's uh, property in their yard, uh, I did my my thing I did it at Revive with the parade. You know, if we're if we're standing there on the street corner watching the parade, it's that's really all you can see. But if you get up into the, the into the clouds, if you were on the Goodyear blimp, maybe, uh, what are you looking at? You're looking down upon it. And as you're looking down upon it, you no longer see past and future. You see present. So I, I said to them, uh, kind of a concept here, that we're we're told, you know, God is, you know, God knows the God knows the the future. God knows the past. Well. The truth is that he only knows the present, and so he can see you in your mother's womb and see you in the kingdom at the same time. Uh, so Shabbat is about that, that day off of, of, of turning off the stuff so that we can begin to look at things through his perspective and, and perceive. The word look, of course, look with your eyes is not just to look with your physical eyes, but to look with your spiritual eyes and perceive what is there. Now, in chapter 4, um, I'm just going to be hitting a, a few uh, a few different principles through here. It says, You saw with your own eyes what Adonai did at Baal Peor, that Adonai destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor, but you who stuck with Yudhe your Elohim, are still alive today. This word stuck is the word translated in many translations as cleave, and its root actually goes back to Genesis of a man is to leave his mother and father and cling to, cleave to his wife. And so this is the, the this is the picture that we're told. That for those of us that desire to enter into the kingdom, to enter into what he has promised to us, we are going to have to cling, cleave, stick to him, the same as a, a man and woman are to cling to, to cleave to one another until it, it, is, it is like they are echad, they are one. As someone sees them, it's like, they they never uh, they never consider one spouse without the other. It's like, well, it's uh, well, we're going over to this person's home, and you you end up uh, pronouncing both of the names of the husband and the wife because you see that house, that home, as one. And so, for us, we need to be clinging to, sticking to Him in such a way that when people see us, they see Him. Uh, down toward the to the end, favorite verses of mine, Deuteronomy chapter four, starting in verse twenty-seven. Yudhe Vavhe Adonai will scatter you among the nations. Okay, let, let's just let's just figure that the scripture is written. And it is since he sees everything as present, then he is looking down upon a people who have not yet entered into the promised land. 
but he already sees them as in the promised land. He already sees them in their failure, their exile from the promised land, and he sees them as being called back into that. He sees that all at the same time. And so the the prophecy is that he will scatter, well, let's just put it like this. He will scatter us, because remember, when he was speaking at Mount Sinai, he said, I'm not just saying this to those who are here with me, but those who are not here with me, which is speaking to you and I. He will scatter us among the nations, and among the nations which Yudhevavhe will lead will lead you away, you will be left few in number. serve gods which are the product of human hands made of wood and stone which can't see hear eat or smell I, I think that's kind of where we are today is it not he's sent us into the nations and his family a family called the Hebrews totally lost their identity of who they were you know, they, the, the Hebrews began to think they were Baptists or, or think they were Pentecostals or Charismatics or, or, or whatever the, that is. And because of that, because of the transformation of our identity, our behavior was transformed and began to, uh, began to, to serve the gods of human hands. Of, of, of trees and of eggs and of carved pumpkins and the list goes on and on and on of the we would become a people that didn't know ourselves that did not understand the practices that we are, were to uphold and therefore would become watered down into the nations however this is one of the greatest words. One of the greatest words of Scripture is, however. Because the story could have ended right there. The, the Scripture could have been a, a whole lot shorter if he had just said, okay, you're going to go into the promised land, and you're going to sin, and, well, I'm going to drive you from the land, and, oh, well, it's been nice knowing you. So the word however is a a word of of mercy, it's a word of grace, it's a word of incredible love greater than I can ever imagine. However, from there, from there you will seek Yudhevavhe your Elohim. And you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and being. In your distress... When all these things have come upon you in the Akarit Hayamim, in the, 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 the last days of this age, you will return to Yudhevav Elohim and listen to what he says. 
For you, Tevave, your Elohim is a merciful God. He will not fail you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he swore unto them. This is a, a prophecy of exile. It is a prophecy of us being sent out into the nations. It's a prophecy of his faithfulness. His faithfulness to his word. We talked a couple of weeks ago about vows. You've heard, you've heard me say this many times. My, one of my favorite rabbinic statements is this. The, the very fact that God said it means it's already happened. The very fact that he said it means it's already happened. That he keeps his word. So the next time that you're, you know, that you, you find yourself in a, a failure and like, well, why, why, why is he doing this? Why is he so faithful? It's not about you anyway. It's not about me. None of this is about us. What we're going through today is because of a man named Abram that said yes. He looked down upon Abram and he said, I want to establish my covenant with you. He looked upon a person named Noah and he says, I want to establish my covenant with you. He looked upon a, a man named Adam said, I want to establish my covenant with you. And every part of history has been him keeping his word. So he has kept his word till now. He will keep his word. And he says in verse 37, because he loved your ancestors. <laughs> wow, wait a minute. I, I, I thought it was because he loved me. He says, because... He loved your ancestors, chose their descendants after them, and, and brought you out of Egypt with his presence and great power in order to drive out ahead of your nations greater and stronger than you so that he could bring you in and give you their land as the inheritance as it as is in this case today. This is, uh, how do I put this into something? When I, uh, I had a, celebrated a bit of an anniversary here just a couple of days ago. It was July 17th of 2000, or excuse me, of 1993 that Kathy and I at the time with two children would drive into Wakulla County, Florida. And therefore, uh, through that, uh, three months later, it would take over as, as pastor of a, of a church there. Um, it was it was an amazing time. These ninety days that are between this July seventeenth and October seventeenth, when I took over that church, uh, is always a time that I, I kind of look back and consider the events that were happening. Uh, I wasn't from there. I had never lived in Wakulla County, south of Tallahassee. I'd never lived there. Um, I had uh, a few people that I I kind of remembered a little bit. Probably my biggest memory of Wakulla County was going to the Oaks restaurant down at Panacea and eating shrimp. And their, uh, the, the little bowl, uh, the, the banana boat kind of, well, it's kind of like a, a shrimp boat that had uh, Triscuit crackers and garlic butter in it. I mean, that, that was the big memory that I had of Wakulla County. So I knew a few people there, but, uh, but not many. 
but I could go anywhere in that county and mention my grandmother's name, Lona Langston, Granny. I could mention her name, and all of a sudden, I was like the darling child. <laughs> Why? It wasn't because of me. I hadn't done anything. Uh, I had not. I, I I hadn't built anything there. I had done nothing of importance in that county. But I was loved by many people. Some of them until they got to know me. But uh, that's another subject. Uh, I was loved by, by so many people there. And it was given respect and honor and, and uh, privilege beyond uh, imagination. I actually had a pastor that had been there and given his life to that to a group of people for uh for about five years and he said mike you walk in here and he said you can do things and say things that i that i've never been able to do nor could i ever do why because of my grandmother because i'm related to her and so this this verse is um is is very interesting in that it's it's not about us it's about his calling of of, Abra, of of Adam, of Noah, of Abraham, a calling of a family, the descendants. And we just get to walk in and enjoy the benefits through Messiah. We get to walk in and enjoy the benefits of a life that we had not worked for. And it says, um, Know today and establish it in your heart that Yudhe is Elohim in heaven and on earth, and there is no other. Know and establish. The the, the word know uh, is is the word of intimacy. We we need to come to an intimate knowledge, not just a not just a head knowledge, but an intimate knowledge that affects every aspect of our being. That goes past intellect. That goes to emotion. That goes to our our actions, and establish it in your heart. The the same that he has established the covenant in Messiah through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He established the covenant when he gave the coat to Adam. Establish it in your inward being. To the point that no one can talk you out of it. No one can can rob you of the benefits. No one can argue you out of what you... In, well, let me back up there. No one can argue you out of whom you believe. And are persuaded that he can keep you until the day of his return. Let that be... Not just a, a, a physical or a, a, a knowledge from the brain, but let it be a knowledge that affects your whole being and establish you, establishes you for the days ahead. We go from there into the, the, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. It, it's kind of funny, of course, that for those who would say the Torah is done away with, um, you can't have the commandments without the Torah. You know, if you go over to the Gospels and you you read the Gospels, you don't know 
without the Torah, you don't know that, well, maybe he's just making stuff up. No, he wasn't making anything up. There's not a, a word that Messiah spoke that does not go back to a foundation within the first five books of Scripture. Why? Because if we look at the wording, who gave the Torah to Moshe on Mount Sinai? I believe it to be Messiah himself. The What would become the earthly manifestation of yud Vavhe. So these, these words... Uh, being here, it takes us to a, another thought, and that is, what is the purpose of Deuteronomy? I mean, in and of itself, it's a, uh, a delay <laughs> on Moshe's part that whenever, um, you know, when, whenever I finish this sermon, I got to climb that mountain and die. So I think I want to make it, I mean, I might have made it even longer. You never know. But it really doesn't serve a lot of purpose in that anyone can go back and begin at Genesis chapter 1 and there's there's not a word in in Devarim Deuteronomy I mean the the word Devarim literally means words and so there's not a single one of the words that you can't find in the first four books there's not a new commandment. There's not a, a really a, a new thought. In in the summary, oh, that's what it is. It's a summary. In the summary, we, we may pick up a few uh, principles, like when I when I send you into exile, and however I'm going to bring you back. Yeah, we see that, but but that thought is already in the first four books. So what is the book of Devarim? In uh, it's not just my opinion, but this is uh, this is by others out there. The Devarim is a, is a uh, uh, is a uh, a summary of the first four books. So for a person that did not have the that maybe the time or or in the beginning even the uh, the consideration to read and get through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, uh, Genesis and the stories that are there. If you had somebody and they say, well, what's this Torah all about? You could actually send them to the book of Devarim and they could kind of get the cliff notes. They could get the summary of of what the Torah is all about, about a people who are redeemed about a people who are given instructions of life, about a people who will be directed to the full promises, which is the kingdom. We could see all of history being being played out there in the book of Devarim. So it is to be a bit of a summary. It is also a revelation, a very important to uh, revelation to us, which in chapter 6, it contains the words of the Shema. Chapter 6, verse uh, 4, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And it, it goes on, of course, from there and tells us what we are to do with these words. This has been uh, an addition to, is, uh, it comes out of Judaism, 
when we say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and then it continues on, Blessed be his name, his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Uh, there are those that may have problems. Well, those verse, those words are not in the scripture. Yeah, those those words are about the scripture, folks. Uh, they're they're a they they are a condensing of what the scripture says. Of of we are to use these words because we've been given this revelation that we are to bless Him, that we are to consider His everlasting name, His everlasting kingdom. So w- these these words of the Shema. Of course, many of you know that uh, I have my my alarm set every day at nine o'clock, at three o'clock, and uh, pretty much without any, uh, pretty much every time. Uh, there there may be a, a few days I have to, you know, change it by five minutes or something, delay it by five minutes. But for the most part, every single day of my life, for a number of years now, I have stopped at nine o'clock and three o'clock and I've recited the words of the Shema. We have the Facebook group and uh, it, it's, it's been a fascinating thing for me that this, this is where, and I, I'm not being judgmental in what I'm, in what I'm about to say, but it's, it's kind of an interesting thing how a group of people you can give a revelation to a group of people, and how many people will never receive the revelation? How few will actually receive the revelation and do something about it? You know, when I uh, was sitting with uh, Alan Stanfield of, of Blessed Memory, and I, I saw him as at 9 o'clock, and for, for him and Roberta, uh, nine o'clock, twelve o'clock, and three o'clock, and there, there, he actually. This is back before we had, uh, you know, cell phones. We had a flip phone back then, but he had gone and bought a timer, uh, an alarm. I guess it was. I, I don't know what kind of alarm it was, but he had it hanging around his neck, and so every day this alarm around his neck would go off, and he said, "Okay, let's stop and recite the Shema," and we would do so. And that just continued. I just kind of continued to walk in because I felt it was a revelation. Uh, Back in 1998, when I was introduced to the revelation of of Rosh Kodesh, the new moon, which is, by the way, was seen in Israel as I'm recording on Wednesday. It was seen last night. Uh, It was a revelation. I knew it, and I knew that I had to walk in it. But I, I look back at how many people I've, I've talked with about the reciting of the Shema, and they never made it their own revelation. I, I look back at the how many times through the years I've taught about the new moon, and it was a left, and you know, so many people just, just never received that revelation. It never became theirs. You know, when the Almighty gives us something, we have a choice. We have a choice to hear. And this is the first, the first word of the, the, the Shema, hear. But the word Shema is not just to acknowledge audible sim- symbols, signals in the air. It's to do something about it. It's to hear with understanding, with, with intelligence, and then 
to do something with that which you have heard. I'll tell people, you know, okay, wow, they'll say, wow, that's amazing. I love that. It's great. And then they never set their their phone. It, it's it's great for the moment. It's like, wow, been there, done that. You know, got the T-shirt. I'm going to put it in the closet now. And never really move forward with the revelation. How many things have have, have you and, or and I? Uh, how many things have been revealed to us? And yet, we haven't acted on the revelation. Then wonder why, in the end, that we're, we're a bit empty and, well, he, you know, he's not revealing anything. I can't, I'm, he, I, I don't know what he's saying to me and, and I, I don't know, uh, I, I feel like he's just quiet and it's because he spoke so many times and he haven't, we haven't done anything about it. it it's like telling your children, over and over and over again to do something. You know, you, you tell them about something, a revelation of life, and and they're like, you know, deaf to it. There's, there's like this, this blank, not a veil, but a blanket over their faces. And, and after a while, you get tired of talking. Why, why would you, why would you, uh, why would you go and, you know, and, why would you teach them how to ride a bike if they never bothered riding riding a tricycle? Why why if they didn't listen to you in the tricycle would you put them in danger on a bicycle? And if they never if they they wouldn't listen to you about how to be safe on a bicycle, why would you give them car keys? Sometimes the revelation quits. Because of our own lack of listening to the revelations. It's the one time twice for me. It's two times in my day that I agree with the heavenly realm. See, when, I, when we say the Shema, when we recite, I don't, I don't like you use the word say, when we recite the Shema, when we declare the Shema, uh, it's not like the heavens are going, the heavenly realm is going, wow, we didn't know that. Now, in the heavenly realm, the Shema is, not to detract from the, the importance of it, but in the heavenly realm, the Shema is like, well, duh. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, that's truth here. But when we declare it in the natural realm, the natural realm, this is a revelation of truth. For many people, the fact that the the Creator and the Messiah are one, and that we are a part of Israel, and He has grafted us in, adopted us, that's that's all in the Shema. And for many people, that's like a wow, I never heard that before. So when I declare the Shema. Upon this earth, in this earthly realm, what am I doing? I'm agreeing with. So if if my life is, you know, if I look at it this way. At least there's twice a day that I'm in agreement with his kingdom. And, and hopefully, that twice a day that I'm in agreement with his kingdom is going to then 
kind of feed over into more of my life to where the majority of my life becomes in agreement with his kingdom. Uh, briefly, the next verses are, I'm bringing you into a place, there's going to be cities that you're going, that you haven't built, houses that, uh, that you haven't built, they're going to be filled with good things that you didn't go to the store and buy, there's going to be vineyards you didn't plant, gardens, you ever bought a new house, or one that's in disrepair or something, and it's like, oh, I got to go put in the raised beds and I've got to plant the fruit trees and I got to do this and I got to do that. I got to paint the walls and I've got to patch this and I've got to put a new roof on it and all of those things. And it's like, this is a major chore. And what the word is saying is this, there's going to be a day when we enter into the land, not into heaven, but we enter into the land and we're going to be living in houses we didn't build. We're going to be, those houses are going to be filled with things that we didn't go to the store and buy. There's going to be full-grown, mature fruit trees in the yard that we didn't plant. There's going to be gardens that we didn't have to dig up the soil for. There's going to be others that have done that work for us. They were occupiers. Well, maybe we could call them preparers. They were preparing the place for us. And we just have to walk in and enjoy the benefits. He has given these uh, words to us in uh, verse 25 to keep us alive. The Torah is not just for our benefit, but it's for our survival. You want to know the greatest aspect for survival in this day? Walking out his word. Shabbat Shalom, Shavuot Tov, have a blessed, prosperous week. Bezrat Hashem, God willing, not quite sure because of uh, family coming in, but uh, we'll see what happens. God willing, see you again next week, and until then, be strong. <laughs>